Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? And in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. The burden on our hearts today, wilt thou not revive thy people? Why revival now? Brother Lloyd sang about the reason. We have burdens. We have heartaches. We have hurts. The world is too much with us, getting and spending, and we get the dirt of the world on us. Somebody said to Billy Sunday one day, I don't like revivals, they don't last. He said, well, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but every week I take a bath and it doesn't last either, but I take it anyway. Well, we need the bath of revival. And I want to give you three reasons why we need revival. In the early church, the church was ablaze with the fire of God. The word revival doesn't appear but twice in the New Testament. Then it's a mistranslation, should probably be translated restore. But revival is mentioned 13 times in the Old Testament. Though this does not apply to the church, and the reason, because God planned for His church to be a continual fire, a blaze for the glory of God. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people that met in the upper room. A few days later, uh, well, on that same day, 3,000 people got saved, and so now there are 3,120 people. And then a few days later, 5,000 more got saved, and somebody said, those were 5,000 men, and were you five? find 5,000 men, you'll find 5,000 women. And when you find 5,000 men and 5,000 women, you'll probably find 5,000 children. And so now there are 15,000 more. And by the time chapter 6 comes, there were 65,000 converts in the church in Jerusalem. You think of that. The church had swept in spiritual power, and there was revival, and God was blessing. Now I want to give you three reasons why we need revival in our time. Number one, because of the crisis times in which we live. These are crisis days. It takes no learned theologian to know that we're standing in a time when there are crises all over the world. These are days of great opportunity. Knowledge is doubling every 10 years. Printed material is doubling every 15 years. 70% of all the medications ever developed have come since World War II. 80% of all the scientists in history are alive today. The Lisa beam was discovered in 61. It measures the distance in space travel, and it welds metals and fires rockets and so on. We didn't need it until now, and now we have it. Yet in these wonderful times of opportunity, these are times of trouble. 47 million divorces in America. America leads the world in the divorce rate. 
550,000 deaths from drunk driving, 23 million users of illegal drugs, 18 million babies killed by abortion, 9.5 million illegitimate births, 65% of all teens have sex outside of marriage, 17 million practicing homosexuals, over 18 million alcoholics and problem drinkers. A time of crisis. But it's also a time of great indifference on the part of the church. I guess the thing that hurts the heart of God more than any other thing is the way God's people respond to the tug of God at our hearts. In Revelation chapter 3, the last message of Jesus to the church, he said this, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now this was his message to the church. And two verses later, Jesus is pictured as standing outside the church, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. What a shock. Jesus outside the church, knocking, trying to get in. Now we often use that verse as an evangelistic verse. And we say, the Lord knocks at your heart's door. And he wants to come in and the doorknob's on the inside. And that certainly is true. If you're here today and you're unsaved, you've never given your heart to Christ, the doorknob is on the inside, and Jesus does knock at your door wanting to come in. But in its context, in its original setting, this is Jesus outside the church. The church is lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, and he says, I want to come in and warm you up. And so revival warms us up. It is like the fire of God that comes to move in our hearts and it warms our hearts. In Jeremiah, a verse we read from the Sunday school lesson today, the text, the memory verse, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And when we hear the word of God preached, and that's part of what revival is all about, hearing God's word. Someone has said there's a big difference between revival and evangelism. Evangelism is the uns it, it con concerns the saved taking the gospel outside the church house and talking to people about Jesus, door to door, out in the workplace, out in the school place, wherever we are, going invading a world that hates God and knocking on their doors, encouraging them to come to Christ. That's evangelism. But revival is God's people gathering together in his house and singing his praises and hearing his word and having our hearts warmed in a world that is increasingly at animosity with God. We come out from the world 
and assemble ourselves together to hear God's message. That's what happened in Ezra's day. When Ezra mounted that wooden pulpit and read the Word of God for three hours to the people, and they all listened, and they began to weep because God was speaking to their hearts. Revival comes when God's people who are called by His name will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face, turn from their wicked ways. He said, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Arnold Toynbee was lecturing in uh, Memphis some time ago. And he was saying, the nations of the world, of the 19 great nations that have risen and fallen in ruin, America shows the early signs that those nations showed. They perished not because of armies marching against them, but from internal decay, they perished because of lust, luxury, and liquor. A Jewish rabbi was lecturing in one of the cities of America, and he said, we Jews have denied Christ. We do not believe he's the Messiah. We do not believe he is the Son of God. But you Christians who believe he is the Messiah, who believe he is the Son of God, you have disgraced Christ by the way you live. Ladies and gentlemen, revival comes when God's people recognize these are crisis days. But secondly, we need revival now because of the cost of men should be lost. In Psalm 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. In Isaiah, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. In Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of this sin is death. Separation from God forever in a place Jesus called hell. You think of the terrible waste of young lives. We have thousands and thousands of young people who are wandering on in their blackness and midnight and darkness, taking their drugs, enjoying their sex, and having all kinds of experiences that have nothing to do with God, no religious instruction, because of the cost of this army of young people go out forever and forever and forever unsaved, lost. Not only will they waste their lives here, but a terrible wasted eternity. The awful cost of men are lost. And then do you contemplate hell? Hell is so real. It's an awful, awful place. We, you know, it blows our mind to try to think about it. We try to put it out of our minds and think, well, hell couldn't be really as bad as the Bible says it is. And we, we just don't think about it. I want to tell you, hell is as real a place as we're, where we're sitting this morning. It's real. It's awful. It's terrible. Jesus told about a man went to hell. He said, I was in torments day and night. Would you not send Abraham, send Lazarus, they may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in these awful flames. I was witnessing to a man in the hospital. I didn't get anywhere with him. I'd prayed for him and talked to him and gave him every scripture I knew about Jesus. He was sick. He had had a stroke and just had his eyes fixed on the ceiling. He couldn't, seemed, couldn't talk, couldn't say anything. I didn't know whether he heard me or not. But his family had asked me to go and see him, and I went. 
One night, when I came from the hospital, I, I got on my knees before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'm so concerned about that man. Would you show me a little bit about the terribleness of hell that I could go and warn him? I went to sleep. The telephone rang, and a nurse from the hospital said, Will Stumblefield is dead, and they've asked you to come to the funeral home. I got up and dressed and went to the funeral home, and I stood by his casket. The funeral director was there with me. In a moment or two, he left, and I was standing there by myself, and I saw this man began to writhe in pain, and he moved his arms all around, and his face was withered in pain. It was an awful, awful sight. And I called the undertaker. I said, come quickly. Something's wrong. He came in and stood by me. He said, what's wrong, preacher? I said, I thought death erased all this pain. He said, with terrific insight, there's some pain that death does not erase. I woke up. It was a dream. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. I got up and went to the hospital. As I walked down the hall, I said to the nurses, will Stubblefield still alive? Yes, he's still in there. I don't think he knows anything. I went in and stood by him. I took his hand. I said, Will, he was an old man. I said, God sent me here to tell you that you're going to die. And if you don't give your heart to Jesus, you're going to hell. It's an awful, awful place. And I want to ask you right now to do what I'm telling you. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of that sin is death and hell, separation from God. Will, won't you ask Christ into your heart? Here's how you do it. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved and will. You can't call on him unless you're willing to repent and turn away from your sins even in this late hour. Would you do it? He just stood there, just lay there with his eyes toward the ceiling, didn't say anything, couldn't say anything. And I said, now, Will, I'm going to pray. And I know you can't talk out loud, but I want you to pray this in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. I call on you to save me. I repent of all my sins in Jesus' name. And I said, Will, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask God to give you the strength to squeeze my hand so I'll know it. I waited a moment. And in just a moment, that man who couldn't do anything began to squeeze my hand. His eyes moved from the ceiling down to my eyes, and there were tears rolling down his cheek. And then he died. I believe at the 11th hour, he gave his heart to Christ. He avoided hell by just a few seconds. Oh, hell is awful. And beloved, because of the awfulness, if men are lost, if men are lost, we need revival. We need to pay the price to have our hearts warmed with the fire of God and our minds moved by the mind of God and our lives yielded to the will of God. But there's a third reason, very briefly, not only because of the cost of men are lost, not only because of the terrible crisis times in which we live, but because of Calvary. That's the main reason. Jesus came and he stood between heaven and earth on that old cross. 
And he cried out to the Father in heaven, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And there was an eternal transaction made that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus died. Three days later, he was raised from the grave, and he's alive today. And whosoever will call upon him to come into their heart, they'll be saved. Right here in this room and within the sound of my voice, there are folks that have never done that. You've never asked Christ to come in. But if you'll do it, he'll come in. He'll forgive your sins. He'll save you. He'll be your personal Lord and Savior. Would you do that? Years ago, before they had the modern medicines for sickness like we have today, a preacher tells the story of his little boy. He contracted diphtheria. And the doctor said to if you want to talk to your son, you'll have to put this mask on and this robe on and go stand by and talk to him. So the preacher went in and stood by his little boy and had that mask and the, on and the robe. And the little boy looked up and said, Daddy, why are you dressed like that? The daddy said, Son, you're sick, very sick. The doctor and, and the little boy said, Son, said, Daddy, am I, am I really sick, very sick? Yes. That's what the doctor says. In a few minutes, the little boy looked up and said, Daddy, am I going to die? The little boy, the daddy was trapped by his own teaching. He taught his boy never to tell a lie. He said to his son, that's what the doctor says, son, but you're not afraid to die, are you? That little boy looked up at his daddy and said, Daddy, if God's like you, I'm not afraid to die. If God's like you, I'm not afraid to die. Our world is looking for God. They're trying to find Him. They're looking in the raw, all the wrong places. They're looking in the dance halls and the rock bands and all the other things to find satisfaction. And none of those things satisfy. But you and I have a spiritual force and a power within us that is the Spirit of God. And if we will revive our own lives, if we will get close enough to the heart of God, God can use us and send us out as witnesses in a world that needs God so desperately. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed as we approach the end of this 42nd year of our church's life. And we begin a 43rd year in just a few days. I wonder if you'd like to say, Lord, I want to be part of a great revival. I want you to use me in the days ahead. I yield myself to thee in a very special way. I want to be part of God's revival as we enter into a new year for his glory. And if you're here without Jesus, would you come to Christ? Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to sing and preach and pray. And we pray that right now someone step over the land of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.